My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Do you drive a car? Has that car ever been recalled by the manufacturer? If you answered no to that, my next question is, are you sure? Like, really, are you positive? Because a report in June found that 6.6 million cars in Canada, which is one out of about every five vehicles on the road, has been subject to a recall notice. So if you're at a party this weekend or hanging at a cottage with a bunch of friends, Maybe throw that question out to the crowd and see what everyone says. But as we'll learn today, there are recalls and then there are recalls. There are things that legitimately might injure or kill you or someone else. And then there are things that you could bring in to get fixed for free, but might not have bothered with because it's not a big deal. Not every one of those 6.6 million cars carries the same risk, and that's important to know. But if you're driving a used car, or you've changed addresses or phone numbers since you bought your last vehicle, you might want to check, just in case you missed it. So here's how we got here. Here's how modern recalls are issued, communicated, and resolved. Or not. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Lorraine Sommerfeld is a longtime automotive journalist. She writes for Driving.ca. Hello, Lorraine. Good morning. I'm really glad that we have you on the show today because I saw a headline, our whole team saw a headline that really kind of blew our minds. So maybe we can just start by getting you to explain exactly like technically what a recall is in the automotive world. What does it mean and who makes those calls? Recalls are good things. They have a really negative connotation for most consumers, but recalls have been stepped up, especially since about 2015. We're seeing literally millions of them. But what recalls do is lead to safer cars. It's manufacturers acknowledging that there's a problem and fixing it before the fact instead of after some calamity. And we've really, really seen some bad, bad things when there weren't recalls in place. So for anyone listening, recalls are not a terrible thing. Who makes the call, though? Is it the manufacturers who issue it? Is it in accordance with some regulatory body? Like, I'm trying to get a sense of how exactly the process works. In an ideal world, it would be the manufacturer that corrected its own mistake. That doesn't usually happen. We don't live in an ideal world. Uh, We do have regulatory boards, uh, NHTSA down in the States, the National Highway Transportation Safety Act. Transport Canada closely follows American regulations because we drive the same cars that Americans do. And so NHTSA puts pressure on manufacturers when they have too many reports of something that's going wrong with a vehicle. So consumers also play a role in this. What's happened, especially after you probably remember the GM ignition debacle where 124 people died. They refused to recall. Explain that quickly to give us some context, because I was about to ask you for for an example of how a high uh, high profile recall works. So maybe run us through that real quick. 
Okay, GM back in the early 2000s, a lot of their entry-level cars like Cobalts, the G5s, things that you would buy your kid who was going off to school, like stripped down things, they had faulty ignition switches. Mm -hmm. GM was aware of this for 10 years before they did anything. And people were dying because the, the ignition would switch off and the airbags wouldn't go off. So you've got a lot of young people, especially, or low-income people heading into trees because there's engine failure and airbags not activating. And internal memos showed that GM was aware of this. One of their own engineers lost his kid. Oh, man. Like, this was a spectacular, horrible thing. Anyway, it changed the industry in a lot of ways. They ended up recalling almost 30 million cars globally. The stupid thing is this switch was, I think, $1.38 or $2.38. It was like pennies. Huh. But they did the math. I call it death accounting. They do the math and decide eh, if we pay out this much versus, you know, a whole recall. That was sort of the beginning of massive, massive recalls. And a lot of a lot of that was pressure from outside the industry. But they had someone go into GM to overlook all this stuff for the few years following that. It really brought their stuff up. It really did help a lot. But finally, consumers can put pressure. There's consumer groups that put pressure and there's regulatory bodies that do. But we're seeing more manufacturers recall before something bad happens because those headlines, as you can imagine, are seared into people's memory. I imagine, uh, as you just explained, that sort of raised the standard for a recall. Is there like a threshold that can be hit automatically or that when reached determines a recall, like a certain number of incidents? Or is it really just like, uh, am I talking about a case-by-case basis here, depending on what the problem is, what the result is, et cetera? Part of the problem is that they don't treat everybody the same way. Squeaky wheel gets their grease. And we tell people, if you're having a problem, keep pushing, which sounds not fair. You spent tens of thousands of dollars on a vehicle. You shouldn't have to be complaining all the time. But You want manufacturers to get ahead of it. Sometimes it's uh, paint. Sometimes it's things that aren't safety related. Usually it's something that's safety related, but it doesn't have to be. So some recalls are very, very necessary and need to be done, you know, quickly. Other ones you can kind of let them ride a little bit because it's a sticky door handle or, you know, but other times, I mean, BMW had a recall because the cup holders were leaking and you think, well, okay, what's, what's the big deal? No, it was leaking into the mechanism that controls the airbags and either letting them not go off or prematurely go off. So one thing can lead to another. And it's important to get ahead of it for manufacturers. But usually it's about safety. Some stuff is immediate. Those headlines you've been seeing about all these outstanding recalls, danger on our roads, a lot of them really aren't deadly. And I don't think we should go to that extent. But we should be telling consumers how to handle this and what to do. Well, that's exactly why we're talking to you today Uh, because of those headlines. And we're going to get into that in just one second. My last process question is, okay, GM or or another company issues a recall uh, for a particular model of vehicle because it has something, let's say, you know, obviously not huge and major, but enough to potentially be a safety issue. So what actually happens then once the recall has been issued? People that bought the car are notified because they're on, when you go buy a car from a dealer, a new car, you're all part of the process now with the manufacturer, they have your address and everything else. The problem occurs when people aren't notified of a recall because they bought it secondhand or third hand or moved or somehow we're not able to track them down anymore. Right. That's when it's on consumers. You can go to Transport Canada, you can call the dealership of your brand, you can call the manufacturer, go right on their website, put in your VIN. 
It's right there on your ownership. It's right there in your windshield if you have to. There are places you could drop that number in and see if there's outstanding recalls. You have to do this. I suggest if you're going to look at a due-to-you car, drop that number in on your phone while you're standing there. See if there's outstanding recalls. This is where consumers have to really advocate for themselves because once that chain is broken, that link between the manufacturer and the original buyer, it becomes a bit of a blurry area. So this is why we're talking today, because of a Transport Canada report from June that found that 6.6 million cars in this country uh, have been recalled but are on the roads. And to your point, that led to headlines like danger on the roads, etc. Does that surprise you? How does something like this happen? I think we're seeing a culmination of the past three years, which we all know has been, you know, the era of shortages. And so what's happened is manufacturers are obligated to issue a recall once they know what a problem is. They're not obligated to have a fix for that problem when they issue the recall, which sounds really backwards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I already know. But they have to tell people, the car you're driving, there's, a re- there's an open recall on it. And when a recall is issued, you go into a dealer and they do the work for free. So it doesn't cost you anything. And they get paid by the manufacturer. But what's happened over the past three years, shortages have been really intense globally. And so for a lot of recalls, they Takata airbags started this about 10 or 12 years ago. Airbags would go off and they were like shrapnel in people's places under extreme heat. They did a global recall of, I can't remember how many hundreds of millions of airbags. They didn't have them. Some of them still haven't been replaced. So they're going, okay, if you live in a cooler climate, don't worry so much about that. And you're going, thanks, dude. Like This thing could blow up in my face. And then there's another airbag recall just six months ago. And so sometimes when it's a component that some manufacturer makes that is in many brands of cars, like the airbags, it can impact millions and millions and millions of cars and they don't have the parts for it. So yes, it's good they have to tell you. It would be better if they'd already engineered a fix and had the parts, but they don't always. The other thing is a lot of people get a recall notice and don't read it. A lot of people get a recall notice and just kind of go, yeah, I'll get around to that. Or they call their dealership and try and make an appointment to get it fixed. And the dealer goes, we don't have the parts yet. We'll call you. So a lot of those ones on the road right now are in that hammock between we know and we don't have the parts yet. And again, not everything is a lethal recall. To me, when engines are stalling or brakes are failing, those are huge things. And the toughest part for consumers is when they're told, okay, we've got this thing. You need to drive, but not go over you know, a certain amount like the bus and speed or don't park inside your garage or don't charge your hybrid. And the park outside recalls, there's tons of them on all different brands. Don't park your, because it could catch on fire from everything from a trailer hitch to an EV. This is not helping consumers very much. This is making, they'll say, well, if you're scared to drive your car, don't drive it. In some cases, you can get a loaner vehicle. But again, with a massive recall, everyone can't get a loaner vehicle. Rich people can opt to get a rental. Not all of us are rich people. So the the industry's trying to make strides to make this better. I'm not happy with the strides they're making, but they didn't ask me. Explain a little bit about some of those uh, issues you just mentioned. You can't park inside uh, with some vehicles. Like, (laughs) how weird are these issues? Well, part of this is the rapidly expanding technology. And if there's a threat of fire, you don't want that to happen in a garage under someone's rec room or whatever, someone's bedroom. Right. And it can be 
key in Hyundai, it was about a trailer hitch. The GM Bolt was failing batteries, which that's a recall of a recall, and that's a whole nother story. Uh, Silverado's had brake fluid leaks. Jeeps, the oil pump was screwy. And again, not all of them, specific years. This is why you have to go on and put yours in. Don't let me freak people out unnecessarily. Pacific Hybrid, they said, don't charge the hybrid part. The people are going, well, we bought it so we can get increased fuel economy. And you're saying, I can't charge it. A lot of EVs, they're being told, don't fully charge them and don't park them inside, park them away from structures. We're seeing more of this. Part of this problem is technology is not ready. We're seeing a lot of premature things happening in technology because they all want to beat the other guy. That is my personal opinion. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous that stuff's being let out there for us to beta test on the road. That's nuts. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Are people who get that recall notice required to do the work or take their car off the road? And I ask this in two ways. First, I mean required like by law, like if a cop stops you and runs your VIN or whatever and it pops up that you're driving around with an unsafe engine, um, do they do anything? And then on the other side of that, just the insurance aspect, if you've got a recall notice and, you know— you get in an accident and something happens, can the insurance company then say, well, look, you got this notice. You shouldn't have been on the road. We're not covering you. On the first one, police have nothing to do with this. They don't know nor care if you've had a recall on your car. Insurance, that's an interesting question. I would say probably no, they don't care because this gets a little too nitty gritty. Ontario revamped their safety certification program a few years ago. It went from being about four questions, does it have tires, they can be bald, to 70 pages of, you know, a little more in depth. And even in those 70 pages, it wasn't our all, have all recalls been performed. So that was an awesome point in time to catch cars being sold a second time and have a tech have to check. They didn't put it in that. They should have. It's an oversight. That's why I want to tell people, take it on yourself. Check. Check before you buy this vehicle. And again, people, an open recall, it's free to get it done. And a lot of it, you can go get it done easily. And the horror stories about, oh my God, there's 66 million death machines on our road. That's not what it's telling you. It's telling you there's a free thing we have to fix that is to your advantage. For the most part, that's most of them. Headlines grab the dangerous, crazy ones because that's what we in the media do. And it's wrong. (laughs) That's what I was going to ask you about, right? Like how widely and here, you know, we've talked about a couple of really dangerous fixes that were needed that can result in, as Transport Canada says, they can lead to, quote, injury and even death. 6.6 million vehicles. How widely do the things that they're recalled for varied? Like, are they things that, you know, someone might read in the recall notice if they get it and they read it and be like, ah, you know what? I don't care if my seat doesn't recline properly. Well, and you're exactly right. And it is everything from little tiny things, carpet things or mats or your seat not reclining. But what I would say to people, let's take the seat thing. It's just a 
pulled out of the air example, but if the seat doesn't recline properly, that seat has to be in the right position to protect you with the airbag and the seatbelt. If your seat can't be in the proper position, you're compromising your safety. So it may seem like a small thing. I can't get comfortable on the way to the cottage. It's not that. Floor mats. You should never stack mats. It can interfere with the pedals. If mats are sliding all the time and not fitting, they might do a recall to make them put some Velcro under them or something. I don't even know what they do. So sometimes what you think is small could lead to something bigger. And that's not up to you to know. They do a recall for a reason. It costs them money. They don't want to. Right. But, ne- but now they're being more careful. The safety has gone up a great deal, thanks to Ralph Nader, frankly. He's the one who started pushing this, what, 40 years ago, 50 years ago? But a recall is to make it safer. And now there's manufacturers that will pause a line and do a recall just for a four-hour stint. Ford did this a few years ago. There's a recall for this four-hour thing on the line. However many cars came off, we need those ones back because we found something. So they are being particular, which is good. It's good for people to have that level of safety. But there's also people driving cars right now. I've been reading about them, and they're going, I got told us to recall. They don't have the parts. They can't tell me if this is going to blow up in my face or not. That's not cool. That's really not cool. Are there more recalls now than there used to be because our safety standards are stricter, as you mentioned, or because there's less quality control coming off the line? You kind of mentioned this, you know, we're pushing we're pushing technology really quickly. We talk a lot about electric vehicles on this show because they are the future of transportation. But every time you turn around, there's a story about a Tesla that blew up because it was rushed or a self-driving program that can compromise safety? Like, where's the balance that we need to find? Okay, self-driving, there's no such thing. There's no fully automated car on the road. I could go on about that all day, as you could probably tell. Cars are safer than they've ever been. If anyone says to you about the good old days, like when I was a kid with no seatbelts, flew around like popcorn, dad had a few beers, off we went. Okay, people, cars have never been safer than they are now. With all this advanced tech comes more problems. You know your car costs more. You know it costs more to fix. You know you can be in a crash that the airbags go off and you go, oh, the car doesn't look bad. And they write it off because all the hidden sensors cost so much and the bags and the damage is all internal. So cars have changed. They're computers, basically. So cars have never cars are safer than they've ever been. You have a better chance now than you ever did. So absolutely, it's it's good. And the recalls have led to that. And again, you want manufacturers to get ahead of it. But we also have a very robust consumer network now. You can take your make, model, year and drop it into the internet and put problems after it and have all these normal people just like you tell you issues they've had with their car that you're thinking about buying. So that interconnectivity has been great. We've got advocates uh, like the APA and NHTSA and Safety Institute down in the state. So we've got more advocacy going on, which is very important. They would like even more safety oversight than they have. And manufacturers push back. Governments, oh, are notoriously slow to implement anything, especially here in Canada. So with Transport Canada, we're just trying to get information up sooner. <laughs> we're just fighting for that. You've probably tried to get stats off StatsCan. They're three years out of date. <laughs> oh, we've, uh, I mean, we've covered that in almost every aspect of the journalism we do here because it kind of impacts everything. I'll ask you about recalls in general. Do we know which kinds of cars or which manufacturers um, are most likely to have cars that are recalled and, and which are most dependable? Cheaper cars that they sell more of, let's say, 
you don't hear a lot of problems from Mercedes and Porsche. <laughs> it doesn't mean they don't have them. It means they catch them faster and they they drown them. They take that problem and they smother it and fix it before it gets out. And the other thing is, like I, I look at the GM recalls when there's you know millions of cars or VW in the the diesel gate. I mean, millions and millions of cars. So the more popular vehicles are, the more of them are on the road. So of course, it's like with Teslas, gas cars blow up in flames far more often than EVs do. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to have an EV problem, it's probably going to be a Tesla because most of the cars on the road that are EVs are Teslas. So there's a causation, you know, that thing everyone screws up when they say that. So as much as I don't like Tesla, because I really don't, it doesn't matter though. If you love it, great. But even I can go, all right, there's more of them on the road. So be reasonable. It's, you know, if you're going to see a problem there, then it's going to be just because of the sheer numbers. So mass produced cars, like when there's more of them, GM, Ford. Yeah, you're going to see those headlines more often than Mercedes. Last question. You mentioned this a little bit, but I want to be practical here. And we will put a link to the Transport Canada search in our show notes for anybody who needs to find it. What would you recommend someone do if... They have a car that they find has been recalled. And I'll ask you it in two ways. You know, first, what's the first thing you do when you're like, oh, shit, I didn't realize I got to get this fixed. And then second, what if they read it and and they're really like, oh, this honestly seems like it's minor. It's a pain in the butt. Um, I don't want to do it. First thing you do is you call the dealer of that manufacturer. doesn't have to be a dealer that you go to or that you bought it from. So even if you've bought a used car from someone else and it's a Honda, you just call your local Honda. Go to Honda. You go to the Honda dealer, they will do the recall. You call them and they will do the recall. And a really good reason to do the recall, even if you don't think you want to do it or you don't think it's a big deal, when you go to sell that car, if you can say there's no open recalls on it, it's like if you've got it you know, crowned every year for rust protection. Anything you can give the next buyer, uh, you know, all the intact statements from how it's been worked on, everything makes it more appealing to the next buyer. So whatever car you're driving, make it appealing to the next buyer or make it safety for your kid who's going to be driving it. So it's dotting T's and crossing I's and there's a reason they issued that recall. So chase it down, get it done. And it's all free, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it's time out of your day. Um, depending on how long they want it. They might not have the parts, but at least get on the list of parts and get it in there and get it done. So it's like anything you own. Take care of it. It'll be worth more. And this day and age, cars are so freaking expensive. Maintain the one you have and get the most for it when you sell it. Lorraine, thank you so much for this. This has been really insightful. Thank you. Lorraine Sommerfeld writing for driving.ca. That was the big story. This show is produced by Joseph Fish. He's our lead producer. Robin Simon is also a producer. Our sound design this week was done primarily by Elizabeth Hart. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. I'm, of course, your host, Jordan Heath-Rawlings, and we'd all love to hear from you. If you ever want to talk to The Big Story, the way to do that is to find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can write to us at hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca, or you can call and leave a voicemail, 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. As I said, I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk on Monday.